And so one day I was mountain biking and I remember just praying, like, I'm so excited to graduate and live my dream. Like, please help me to find a job as a TV news reporter. And then I just felt God told me almost like everything was in slow motion. I want you to be a student missionary in Prague with your sister and my best friend, Heather. I literally said, no, I was like, no, I'm going to pursue my dream. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 19 of the So This Is My Why podcast. I'm your host and producer, Lingya. And today's guest is Patricia Kalikani, a multiple Emmy Award-winning documentary filmmaker and videographer who also runs her own freelance business, teaching people how to make their own lucrative videos. However, Patricia didn't always know she wanted to be a documentary filmmaker. In fact, she grew up wanting to be one of the double mean twins with her twin sister and studied broadcast journalism and political science at university. However, God had other plans for her and she ended up spending a year in Prague as a Christian missionary. Upon her return, she joined a non-profit where she ended up producing a multiple Emmy Award-winning show, Life on the Line, documenting the resilience of humankind from talking about child abuse to featuring victims of the unfortunate San Bernardino shooting. I love Patricia's story of her faith and how she accidentally found her calling as a documentary filmmaker, and I'm sure you will too. Are you ready? Let's go. Welcome to the So This Is My Why podcast, where we talk to people about their whys and how they turn them into realities to inspire you to live your best life. And here's your host, Ling Ya. So I thought I would start off with this fact I found out about you, which is that you have a twin sister and you wanted to be one of the double mean twins growing up. Yes. Oh my goodness, we did. So I think probably from the day we first saw one of those double mint commercials. So basically it's a commercial for gum and the gum is called double mint. And it was these two twins who were always in these commercials. And my twin sister and I were like, oh my goodness, that would be so cool to be on one of those commercials. And it never happened yet at least. <laughs> did you try? Well, we actually did. There was an audition. Then we happened to take an acting class from one of the former Doublemint twins, like wow. one of the, the ladies that we grew up watching, which is kind of cool. And what was that like learning from her? It was fun. It was kind of surreal. Like, oh my goodness, it's so crazy. We loved seeing the commercials and then to actually be in the same room as her and all that stuff. It's really cool. So was acting something that you always loved since young? Yeah, which is kind of funny because I was actually a super shy child, like ultra shy, like socially awkward shy. <laughs> really? Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. Like the two of you? Like I would, well, both of us. Yeah. If someone said hi, I would turn my face and hide my face into my mom's. But thankfully, I got out of that shell. And I got the impression that you were also quite driven as a child because you were writing a column in your high school newspaper. You also shadowed someone at the LA TV station and got a competitive internship at NBA. So all these things suggest that you were really geared towards that industry. Is that right? Yeah. As a kid too, I loved story time. When it was story time in school, like that was probably my favorite time. When we had to read out loud in class and practice reading, I loved reading out loud. And then telling stories as I got older was also something that I loved to do. So it was kind of a natural path that I just followed along, even though I didn't want to be a TV news reporter 
until I was maybe like 14. But yeah, once I decided that that's what I wanted to do, then I was pretty driven towards that. So what was it about being a TV news reporter that drew you in? So telling stories, but also the adventure, like every day would be a different story or going on location and just being able to travel if you got to as a reporter. My desire was really to tell stories that would have a positive impact on others. And I think you wanted to be Louise Lane as well, right? Yes. Oh my goodness. Which is kind of embarrassing to like admit right now because like everyone, at least my age, always said that Oh, they desire to be like Oprah Winfrey, who's this real life woman. And I wanted to be a character out of a comic book, (laughs) but she had Superman, right? Yeah, she had. I mean, who else has it? (laughs) So you end up pursuing broadcast journalism and political science at Pacific Union College from 1997 to 2001. I was wondering, how did you decide to go there to study that particular course? So it's kind of an easy answer. My older brother went there and loved it. And so it was just a natural path. We loved it too. So my sister went there as well and we had a blast. And I think that there was a particular incident just before you graduated that changed your life, right? Could you share what that was? Yeah. So my sister and our best friend decided that after graduation, they would go to the Czech Republic and teach English and help out with a church. And they told me like, Hey, you should come with us. It's going to be awesome. And I was like, no, like I am going to live my dream. I've had this dream to be a TV news reporter for, oh my goodness, for so many years. And I was so ready to just like graduate and start working and start living this dream of mine. And what was nice about the college that I went to is it is in the mountains. So like just filled with beautiful pine trees and the outdoors. And a lot of times I would go mountain biking. That was like my escape. And so one day I was mountain biking and oftentimes too, I would just pray like as I'm mountain biking and just like feel God's presence and talk to him. I remember just praying, like, I'm so excited to graduate and live my dream. Like, please help me to find a job as a TV news reporter. And then I just felt God told me almost like everything was in slow motion. And I heard the words, I want you to be a student missionary in Prague, which is the capital city of the Czech Republic with your sister and my best friend, Heather. I literally said, no, I was like, no, I'm going to pursue my dream. And he told me again, no, I want you to be a student missionary with your sister and Heather. Was it like a loud voice? No, it wasn't. It was, it was just, it wasn't. It's, I know it's really hard to express, but it was just kind of like this inner voice in my head. Like it wasn't like physically out there. It was just kind of this voice I heard in my head, I guess. I was just like, oh my goodness, what is happening? No, I'm not going to. So we graduated. This is a couple months later. We graduated. I sent out my resume tapes and all of that stuff to different TV news stations, like really small town TV news stations too, where it's easier to get a job. It's like literally tapes, right? Because at the time you didn't have digital. Yeah. So there were DVDs. I'm pretty sure this is 2001. Okay, they might have been VHS tapes, but I think they were DVDs, (laughs) but they definitely weren't digital. And pretty much for the same thing over and over again, which was you look too young, your hair is too long, and your voice is too high pitched. 
And I was so heartbroken. I was just like, oh my goodness, what is going on? Because I knew I was a good journalist. I won like the Journalism Major of the Year Award. I scored these competitive internships in college. Oh man, it put me in this really low state of anxiety. I think I even had a panic attack. What am I going to do with my life? In the meantime, my sister and best friend, they fly for their one-year adventure to the Czech Republic. And I'm getting all these emails from my sister about all the cool things they're seeing and doing. And then two weeks later, after she's there, there's an email and it says, hey, our director at the school says she needs another teacher. She has more students than she thought she was going to have. Do you want to come here and teach? And I was just like, oh my goodness. Yes. Like, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what God wants me to do. And he's given me a second chance. And so I immediately, of course, wrote back and was like, yes, I'm in and got my passport. I don't even think I had a passport. I had to like apply for one and rush to get it, do the whatever it's called, <laughs> pay extra, get a visa, all that stuff. And actually within just a couple of weeks, I was on a flight over there. It was awesome. It was my first time traveling outside of the US, um, the United States, aside from Mexico, because we're like driving distance to Mexico. So as a kid, we would go there a couple of times. But yeah, definitely my first time across an ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, and got to help out with the church there and teach English. And on our breaks that we had, we got to travel Europe for a little bit and just had a, a, an awesome time. And I wanted to go back a little to what you said that your voice was too high pitched, hair was too long. Do you never feel like you wanted to conform to what they expected? Like were there other women that you knew they wanted you to fit them all for? So yeah, the long hair part wasn't a surprise to me because everyone told me you need to cut your hair. Nowadays, I feel like it's different. But why though? That's such a strange thing. Yeah, I know. Like only weather girls back then had long hair. Like people won't take you seriously if you have long hair. If you if your voice is too high pitched, you don't sound credible, that type of a thing. If you look too young, you don't look credible. And as a reporter, you need to be believable and all that stuff. So yeah, it's really, really interesting. Do you never feel like you wanted to change that and like speak lower, cut your hair? Well, I tried to speak lower. It wasn't low enough. Wow. <laughs> um, I, I mean, now that I'm older, my voice has like gotten a little bit lower, which is nice. And to cut my hair, I didn't, I don't know. I didn't want to cut my hair. It's kind of funny. My mom has short hair. She always wanted my sister and I to have short hair too, because like when we were little kids, it would just get tangled all the time and would hurt us and it would drive her crazy. And there was one time we were seven. She told her friend who was a hairstylist, just cut their hair above their shoulders. Oh my goodness. We bawled our eyes. We cried. Ever since then, I was like, I'm never going to get shorter again. <laughs> Anyways, it's kind of, yeah. Don't ask me why, but <laughs> it's like a weird thing. So let's just skip to Prague. Was there a particular incident that happened while you were teaching there that's like really had an impact on you? Well, a couple of things. One, the Czech Republic is a former communist country and our students and even friends at the church, friends that I made there, like when they were children, just a few years prior to me going there, no one could speak about God publicly. 
And to me, it was just really sad to hear that because a lot of them were just hearing about God for the first time, like as adults and stuff. So that was pretty impactful. And just being able to help out with the church and stuff was pretty meaningful. And then the second thing was it was awesome to get experience traveling outside of being at home. And so that was just incredible too. Feeling like the world is a lot smaller than it felt like before. Like before I I left California, the world just seems so huge. Starting to travel just made me realize that the world is actually a lot smaller. It's just, you just have to hop on a plane and obviously pay for your plane ticket. But (laughs) So after that one year, where did you think you were going to go? My plan was to apply for TV news reporting jobs again. I ended up applying for a job that actually Heather, my best friend who was in the Czech Republic, it was actually a job she got, but she turned down because she lived in Texas. And she's like, I think I want to stay in Texas for now. This was a job in California. So she was like, hey, I think you should apply for the job. So I applied for it. And I got it and I was like, you know what? I think I should probably take this job. And it was for a large nonprofit where I primarily, I was a photojournalist, but it was in the public relations department. But my duties were to take photographs and write stories for the most part. That was really great. I had an awesome boss who knew that I had this desire to be a TV news reporter. How did you know you told him that? I told him. In fact, I told him it's so crazy. I do not suggest anyone doing this, but during the job interview, they asked the question, so what's your career goal? And I told them I want to be a TV news reporter. And they said, okay, well, if, if you get a job, we would like you to work here for you know at least two years. How do you feel about that? And my response, which I do not recommend saying, <laughs> I said, how about one year? <laughs> and they still offered me the job. <laughs> what that turned into is actually boy, 12 years. And I still work there, but as a contractor through my own business. But throughout that time though, which was really cool is my boss, who was amazing, knew that I had this love for video, even though I didn't know how to make a video. Because back in that day, the only people who learned how to make videos were film students, not journalism majors, which is completely different than what it is in today's world. But anyways, so he walked into my office one day and he said, Hey, I want to send you on assignment to Albania. And I think you should take a video camera, just see what happens. So I did and had no idea how to use that video camera other than I knew the red button was to push to record. So I took a five-minute crash course from an audiovisual guy, an older gentleman, and flew to Albania and captured video along with taking photographs and writing a story. And what was supposed to happen was another department, so the audiovisual person was supposed to edit the video, but they were always too busy So I was like, man, I should just learn how to edit. So I took money out of my savings and bought my own MacBook Pro because the computer at work was a super, super old iMac and wasn't able to edit video. Like it just wasn't powerful enough. And then I learned how to use iMovie on my own. This is before YouTube existed. Wow. So you just experimented the whole way and figured out how to do it. 
Yeah. Experimented. I think they probably had like PDF guides. too. (laughs) So yeah, I know. Very interesting. And then, yeah, I ended up editing the video. I showed it to my boss. He then, after watching it, called up the president of the organization. The president came down, watched the video. And the next thing I knew, they were sending me on assignment all over the world to tell these amazing stories and create documentary films. And that is when I realized, oh man, this is my love. Like this is what I'm passionate about. It's not to be a TV news reporter, but to be a documentary filmmaker. And it was just amazing to see, like looking back, how God had that in his plan and how even though I thought the end result was going to look one way, it actually looked a different way, but yet was like so much more fulfilling. So, and so like they really sent you to, I think, really interesting places, right? Like Afghanistan, Ethiopia, mm-hmm. China. What was the couple of projects that really stood out for you? For me, I would say Ethiopia. So that was one of my first documentaries. It's probably like the third video I made, but that was so eye-opening to me because I had never been to a country where the people lived in such poverty. You know, they literally would sleep on like dirt floors and stuff like that. They still had this just light in their life and just, I don't know, just exuded like such love too. And yeah, it was very eye-opening. And I think too, I realized because their health conditions too weren't very good. So a lot of them were getting sick or would get like different infections and stuff like that. And I realized that for those of us who are able to help others, that's kind of our duty to be able to help others in this world and for them to be able to live a healthier, better life. It was really meaningful to be able to make a documentary film and be able to have an impact on helping people over there. So what were you going there to capture? Specifically, it was basically tell stories based at one of the hospitals in this village and the work that they were doing and also the local stories, stuff like that. So the impact that that hospital was making on the lives of the people who lived in, it was actually Gimbi in Ethiopia. And what was awesome is that that film helped raise over a million dollars, which was like the most that the nonprofit had ever raised for that particular program. Yes, it was really awesome. What do you think about that video that really resonated with people, leading them to give so much? You know, I think it was, and this is what a lot of people would tell me after they watched it, is they felt like they were right there with those people. And it made them realize too, like, oh man, like I have the means to be able to help them. And it made viewers feel like they were just really close to the story and and experienced the way that life was like over there. Was it a challenge for you to get all this footage? Like, was there a trust barrier, language barrier? I would say the biggest challenge was just, it was me and my health because it was pretty exhausting. I had also recovered from pneumonia like a couple of months earlier. And apparently towards the end of the trip, I caught pneumonia again. It was a struggle, but I really wanted to capture like these different stories. So I just pushed myself to get out of bed and push that record button. (laughs) So that was probably the biggest struggle. Do you feel pressure as well? Because I think like there was also a position from people sending you to do all these interesting work, but 
Dr. Richard Hart was on your side saying that support, I know she can do it. Like, do you feel that? Yeah, you know, okay, so I actually didn't know that people were against me going. So they were against me going because they felt like I wouldn't be able to do a good job. I didn't know that until afterwards, which makes me glad. <laughs> I mean, I think if I would have known, it might have even pushed me to do a better job. I don't know. I don't know if I could have done a better job, but yeah. but I try to always do my best work. So it meant a lot to me hearing that afterwards that Dr. Hart really trusted me and believed in me, even though others didn't. It's so funny. Whenever he sees me, he's like, you know, I still remember that day when I questioned Dr. Hart about sending you to Ethiopia. <laughs> wow. They would just tell you that. <laughs> oh yeah. And he's like, but... Patricia, you did such a great job. I'm so proud of you. So I was like, ah, oh, thank you. So it's like a nice reminder. <laughs> it is. Do you feel like the doors open more and you were given more challenging projects once you did the one with Ethiopia? Yeah, definitely. Because mm -hmm. there were other people too who didn't feel like I was ready yet to do like the bigger projects and stuff for the nonprofit because they still hired out video projects back then and paid a lot of money to other companies. But within three or four years, and this was after we also grew the video department, then they quit hiring outside and just used us, which meant a lot too. Was this the point when you created your own department? Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I forgot. I think Mr. Weismeyer, my boss just came in and was like, Hey, I think we should start a video department. And so we hired one position starting out and then I was promoted to head that department up. And then now that department is seven people. So since then we've grown quite a bit and I'm not the director anymore. So I resigned once I had my first baby, which was six years ago, I resigned from that position, started my own business. And thankfully they hired me as a contractor and became one of my biggest clients. And I read that you once did uh, an interview with Ryan Reynolds and Matthew Perry. Oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> How did that come about? Like what happened? Okay. So Ryan Reynolds and Matthew Perry were part of this benefit in acting show in Hollywood. And all the ticket sales were going to benefit the nonprofit that I worked at, which was Loma Linda University, specifically the Children's Hospital. So Loma Linda University Children's Hospital. And so my team and I recorded the event. And beforehand, we interviewed some of the stars, the celebrities that were a part of this event, including Ryan Reynolds and Matthew Perry. And I was asking the questions and they were like hilarious and all that stuff. Then we had a rush off and switch memory cards out of the cameras to get ready to record the main show. So we did that. I put in a new memory card and then I erased it because I knew that I had backed up that memory card earlier already from some other thing, like probably, I don't know, a few days earlier we had filmed. It turns out I got mixed up and I put the same memory card in back into the camera that we had just filmed Ryan Reynolds and Matthew Perry. And I totally erased that footage. Oh my goodness. Yes. Do you get to redo it? <laughs> we know. I was like, there's no way I'm going to ask them if I could interview them again. Plus the show was starting. So there was like no time. I tell people who are starting out, give yourself grace. You will make a mistake. And most likely those mistakes won't happen again. Yeah, you forever remember it. <laughs> 
So I read that in 2013, you end up doing the Loma Linda 360, which changed to Life on the Line. Can you share what that's all about? Yeah, so Loma Linda 360 was a TV show, a local television show that we created based out of the stories and the documentaries that we were making. And it aired locally in Southern California. Once we started getting like accolades and just improving the quality of the show. I think you got an Emmy, right? For that. Yeah, yeah, we did, which was super awesome. Then we decided to try to make this a new show and make it a national TV show on PBS, rebrand it, kind of give a new concept to it. And so, yeah, so with Life on the Line is a TV documentary series and we work with Lisa Ling. What was nice is someone I knew who had connections at Loma Linda where I worked, he was family friends with Lisa Ling's family. And so I was like, Hey, what do you think? Like, we think it'd be awesome if Lisa Ling narrated the show. So that's how it all started, was just contacting one of her friends. It would have been quite a challenge, right? Because for those who don't know, Loma Linda consists of six hospitals and eight professional schools, 800 physicians, 14,000 faculty and stuff. Like, it's a huge amount of people mm-hmm. and places physically. So how do you come up with each episode? Like, what are you going to feature? Because your episodes are quite short. It's like six episodes per season. It's not that many. Yeah, it's a mini series. And for Life on the Line, each episode is like one story. Basically, what we do is for me as a showrunner and producer, I'll get story ideas. People will contact me about story ideas. I'll contact other people to see if you know they have any good stories. And that's pretty much how it happens. And then from there, we think about, okay, is this particular story going to resonate with our viewers? This was maybe one story was like a global news story in the year prior or something like that. Or by the time it airs, it would be like the year prior. So that one would probably make the list because people in general would be interested in that topic. So yeah, that's kind of how we do it. And then also too, the characters, if we follow, for example, this patient, are they going to be able to be captivating enough? Are they going to be open enough on video to keep viewers' attentions and be able to share? Are they going to be able to share what they're experiencing and stuff like that? Was it hard to get consent from people to show? Because some of the things that you show are very vulnerable, like the San Bernardino shooting, the newborn fighting a heart disease. They're like really, really personal. Yeah, they are. You know, surprisingly, most people, I would say 99 probably percent of the people that we ask if they would be willing to share their story and their journey with us, they say yes. And it's because they know that through their story, they're going to inspire others and they're going to help others who are going through a similar situation. And so, yeah, it gives their challenging life event that they're going through, it gives them meaning to be able to help others through it. Do you find it tricky to do all your filming, but not get in the way of like the doctors doing their job, for instance? No, like in the operating room or something, we know we can just zoom in, but we're still far away. It's actually pretty easy. And the doctors are like super cool too about it. As long as we communicate with them beforehand and plan it out, then yeah, everything is smooth sailing. So what do you think were the biggest challenges for you doing these? Boy, that's a good question. I've been doing it for so long that it's... 
Yeah, because you have so many roles as well. You're like the director, producer, cinematographer, so many roles as yeah, well. Yeah, on the team, we'll switch roles because we all have our own strengths, but we also know how to do everything else too. Like I am not the best cinematographer. We have better cinematographers, but I can still obviously film and do all that. But I would say the biggest challenge, probably in the editing, like making sure that as we edit, as we tell this story, we're, we're doing it justice. We're telling it in a way that will make them the most positive impact and be inspiring. And you mentioned your team earlier. Like, could you give us a sense of how many people are in that team and how you all work together? Yeah. So, okay. There are basically seven of us who work pretty closely and we have all the roles there. So like cinematographers, photography, like I'm the main producer, like directors, we pretty much will assign roles. This person's going to direct this one. This one will direct this one, that type of a thing. We all are editors, but we'll also hire out some of that too. And they're part of the team as well, but we don't see them like as often as a core team. But yeah, we'll hire out editing sometimes. And in fact, a lot of the people that we hire out to used to be on the team full time, but then they moved away or something like that. Could you share what were some of the biggest moments for you or things that impacted you while filming this? I think, so San Bernardino Strong, that was an episode, a documentary we created and made based on the terrorist attacks that happened in San Bernardino where a husband and wife opened gunfire at a Christmas party and killed, I think it was about 15 people and injured like a lot more. So that one was obviously very impactful to me because it happened in our community. And I think too, just being able to tell Julie's story. So she's the main person whose story we're telling and just seeing how she was able to rise above it, even though she has permanent physical damage and obviously just trauma emotionally and all of that too, but how she was able to just get through that and be able to tell her story to others was just really awesome. And clearly all of this work has really resonated with people because you end up earning, I think, nine Emmy Awards, which is so incredible. Yeah, I think it's like 12 or something, but I kind of lost count, but (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't matter anymore. Can you share with us the experience of like just going to the Emmys and getting recognition for this incredible work? Oh man, it's awesome. It's funny because like, it's kind of the the glamour part of the job, like the only glam part of the job. Because most of the time you're behind the camera, you look like just not always put together. For some of these projects, you're completely exhausted. For example, like pneumonia, right? And so, yeah, it's hilarious just how much of a contrast it is (laughs) being on stage to get the Emmy and what you really look like when you're doing the job. (laughs) Maybe you could share one thing that we probably wouldn't know since we haven't been to the Emmys. Well, also there are different Emmy awards, like for example, the ones that we always see on TV are like the primetime Emmys with like Modern Family TV show and stuff like that. Like for the ones that I go to, it's awesome. We're just surrounded by other amazing people who work in the same field as you. And it's awesome just to be in the same room and have everyone there looking their best. <laughs> too. 
Wow. And so you got married in 2012 and you had your first son in 2014. And that's when you decided you wanted to take a step back from Loma Linda. So I always wanted to be able to um, have more flexibility as a mom. And so that's when I resigned from my director position. I'm heading up the department there at work and started my own business and basically worked part-time so that I could spend more time with my son. And now I have two boys. So yeah, it's been really nice to be able to do that. Was it a difficult decision to resign? No, I had always wanted to do that. Like ever since I can remember, that was like my plan. So like when, before we started school, my twin sister and I, my mom was able to be at home with us, which was really awesome. But then what was sad is when I was seven, my parents got a divorce. And so life completely changed. My mom was no longer a stay-at-home mom. She had to work like two, three jobs. We weren't picked up at school. When school ended, we were like the last kids to be picked up. So it was very life-changing. And that was just something that I wanted to make sure that when I was a mom, that I would be able to pick up my kids from school, that I would be able to always be able to spend quality time with them and not have to worry about having to work two, three jobs, that type of a thing. And so when you resigned, do you already have a work lineup that you knew you were going to get? Like, How do you balance having a newborn and being so committed as a mother, but also being able to run your company? So thankfully, before I officially resigned, I talked with my employer and basically proposed this plan with them and told them too that, you know, I've I've just always had this desire to be able to spend more time with my kids once I do have like babies. So they were really supportive. And thankfully, six years later, they're still one of my biggest clients, which is nice. And you also run your own course now teaching people how to use video in your business. So how did that come about? So as I started my own business, I would also meet with potential clients. And some of these were small business owners who wanted to add video to their marketing, but unfortunately didn't have the budget. I realized, wow, if they had the skills and the know-how, they could actually make their own videos and still get great results. And I had a business coach who actually encouraged me too. And and she's actually the one who first gave me that initial idea to make an online course. I'm not sure. Are you familiar with Christy Wright of the Business Boutique? So she's the one who first inspired me to do that. And I was like, oh my goodness, I would love to do that. So yeah, that's how it all started. So now I also help entrepreneurs grow their businesses with video. So how was the response and how did you grow it? It's been good. So I started a YouTube channel before I even had the online course and just to test it out see what the response would be and got really good feedback. And then from there, I worked on my online course and then launched it, grew my email list, did all of that (laughs) online business stuff. It's awesome. It's really fun too, because for those who are in my course, we'll have monthly group coaching calls over Zoom. So I'm able to see them and help them pretty closely. I'll do one-on-one coaching as well. So yeah, it's so rewarding and I love it. And how has COVID impacted your life and your work? So March, April, and May, there was like no work. And so it was like crazy. And I was completely stressing about it. Thankfully, 
in like June, things started to pick up and I've had like one of the highest revenue quarters probably in my business. But yeah, it, it's funny because it, looking back, it made me realize like during those stressful moments, ugh, I just shouldn't stress so much, you know, because like everything will work out, right? Like God has a way he's going to help me out, but it's crazy. It's hard not to stress, but looking back, I just try to remind myself if something like a crisis happens again, just try not to stress out so much. (laughs) (laughs) And I think one of the questions people normally pose to Christians is, you know, especially for you, you see all these pain, child abuse, and then they will go, well, where was God in all this? So do you ever feel like your faith was shaken by what you've seen? You know, it's interesting. So someone I interviewed, because we have made a documentary on child abuse, actually. It's also an educational type film to help those who have been through it and so forth. But working on another documentary, I actually asked someone a similar question. So he was a police officer and he was rushing off to a call because one of his fellow officers needed help and assistance. I think there was like guns and all that involved. So he was rushing off and speeding off to help his fellow police officer. And then a dog ran right in front of him. And unfortunately, he swerved to not hit the dog, but he flipped, got in a car accident and became paralyzed. Mm. Yeah, which is awful. And when I asked him that question of like, what, because he was, he was a man of God and his wife, he was actually engaged when that happened, but they still got married, which was awesome. Amazing, amazing couple. His wife actually answered, God promises to always be with you during those bad times. Like he's still with you and he will be with you like afterwards and all of that. And God has been with us. So, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that bad things happen in this world because of Satan, right? And God is still there and will help us through those bad things. So yeah, that's kind of, I guess my answer is. Thank you for sharing. And I was wondering for those who are interested in entering into this field, what kind of advice would you give them? Just start. So nowadays, most phones have video cameras. So yeah, just start recording and telling stories. The main thing with telling a story is you need to have a problem and then you need to show how that problem is going to try to be solved, right? So that's the main thing. Oh no, this happened. Now, how are they going to get through this? That's kind of a common story plot. But yeah, just start with your phone. You can, at least over here, you can buy a microphone and stuff for pretty inexpensive and a tripod. But yeah, that's my advice. And if you could go back and redo one thing in your life, what would that be? I think not worry as much knowing that things are going to work out. Even thinking back to when I got rejected from all of those job applications, like it worked out. And I think it's hard because we always want to know, well, what's going to happen? Like I, at least I know I need to sit back, relax and know that my life is in God's hands. Well, thank you, Patricia, for your time. I've really enjoyed this. I normally end my interviews with these questions. The first one is, do you feel like you have found your why? Yes. 
Yeah, I feel like my purpose in life is to basically try to inspire others through video and help others do the same. And what kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? Oh man, that's a deep question. (laughs) (laughs) I think um, just living life to the fullest, making a positive impact in the world and inspiring others to do that. And what do you think are the most important qualities a person should have to be as successful as you? Well, I think having the courage and by courage, I mean, even though you're scared to do something, you do it anyway, because you think about the opportunities that it can give you. So having the courage to do something, even when you are scared. And where can people go to connect with you and find out more about what you're doing? They can follow me on YouTube, which is just my name, Patricia Calacani. And Instagram is also my name, Patricia Calacani. And that was the end of episode 19. The show notes can be found at sothisismywhy.com forward slash 19. This includes the transcript and links to everything we just talked about. If you have enjoyed this episode, tag me at sothisismywhy and let me know. And stay tuned for next Sunday, because we'll be meeting a Singaporean actress well-loved for her role in Puachukang, one of Singapore's most popular 1990s sitcoms even to this day, and who also appeared in Crazy Rich Asians, where we talked about how she first discovered her love for acting, how she kept that love alive while maintaining a corporate job, and how at the age of 30, she pivoted into becoming a full-time actress. A path that has now led her to Hollywood at the age of 57, at a time that she feels couldn't have been more perfect for her. It is a fantastic episode and I can't wait to share it with you next Sunday.